Merlin is dead. Let his deserted flesh be set before the portal perilous. Then let all that is frail and human go hence from that place, lest their breath and reason be forfeit. When the games of infinity are flung wide, go, sovereign of the innumerable spheres, go, firstborn of the devil, go, my father, to whatever rest awaits you. Roma of Otherworld. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Byland, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our residents is to lay down a fundamental understanding of a geeky concept for a newcomer before sending them on their way into the wild world of nerdery. Our subject this time around is curious about magic in the Marvel Universe. Professor Z, what's our lesson for today? Arthurian legend in the Marvel Universe. Which is originally not what this episode was going to be. I was thinking about this while driving here. Uh, when we first planned this podcast, it was going to be like 12 episodes for a season. And then I wrote it out and it came out like 18. And I was like, guys, I don't know how we, if we could do that. And then it ended at 30. And now we're partway in and it's going to be longer and we still haven't quite narrowed it down. It was originally going to be Black Knight and Captain Britain because they're kind of Arthurian anyways. But we looked into this and went, man, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens like before these guys in King Arthur time that might be better to explain here before we dive into that. Mm. Actually, I'm just curious on this. What are your guys' experience with Arthurian legend before we, before we, like actual Arthurian legend? Uh, advanced Brit Lake class in high school and in college. Oh, so more than mine. Yes. <laughs> uh, I got super heavy into looking up Arthurian legend uh, during a time period in which the Sarmatian hypothesis was still very strong and that has since been almost completely ruled out. <laughs> so most of the stuff I was reading about when I was super heavy into it doesn't matter anymore. What is the Sarmatian? Uh, it was when they were really going hard on trying to figure out who the historical Arthur might have been. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, the idea put forth that he might have been a Roman commander in charge of a Sarmatian oh, conscripted okay. heavy cavalry unit. There's been a lot of theories over the years, and the answer is largely, no one knows or cares. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, like, uh, okay, no, not on this bookshelf. But, like, I have a couple books on, like, searching for the historical Arthur just right in the other room. Okay. Like, like right next to the Morta author. One, that's just awesome. Two, <laughs> good on you for being the only other person I know that's read the Morta Arthur. And three, this part that I was going to segue into with this before I realize you're both smarter than me uh, is going to be for all of our listeners. <laughs> if you don't know Arthurian legend that great, we're not going to go too deeply into actual Arthurian legend itself here because that would be an entire season in its own right of like a hundred yes. episode show. Like that is crazy. I would love to do an episode on the Sarmination hypothesis. <laughs> It'd be super fun. Yes. <laughs> Probably not on this podcast. No. Very weird episode of General Nerdery. Um, but 
If you do want a, like a really easy intro, I'm going to recommend Myths and Legends podcast. It does do several Arthur episodes that are pretty like easy intro. It tells you the weird stuff, but also is like, look, we know this is strange. Mm-hmm. Just be happy with it. Most of this stuff is going to take place in Camelot, which in Marvel is a real historical fact. There's not a like Sarmatian theory. Nope, just Camelot Arthur was there. It's cool. They're knights of the round table. They dance whenever they're able. Da, 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 da. Please don't freaking sue us. <laughs> um, so, first off, we're going to go with King Arthur, who I actually kind of have the least to say in all of this section. King Arthur, in the Marvel stuff, mostly has things happen around him mm. because he's busy doing the actual King Arthur myths and legends. King Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon, brother of Morgan Le Fay and Morgaus, the uncle-dad of Mordred, king of Camelot, everything that you know him to be. Don't give me that look. <laughs> it's perfect. Keep going, keep going. Basically, from what I can tell, uh, if you've ever read L'Amour Arthur, I'm sorry, guys, I failed French. I'm pronouncing that terribly. But if you ever read The Death of Arthur by Sir Thomas Mallory, that's roughly the Arthur that we have. Good dude. Not perfect. Mm-hmm. Make some bonehead decisions. Sort of drowns a boat full of kids at one point. But a good dude. But sure. <laughs> uh, the Most of the stuff we'll talk about will be other people in Camelot, but I did want to specifically mention that he uh, his first appearance in, I believe it still would have been either Timely or Atlas, is in a issue where he meets a member of the Young Allies named... Tommy Time. Tommy Time is a kid from Brooklyn who finds a genie, and when he asks for a life adventure, the genie gives him a clock that lets him travel through time. That's amazing. It's literally all I can find about this guy. Like, I tried to go deep dive into Tommy Time, and there's, understandably, but also, unfortunately, not much. Uh, Teaming up with Tommy Time, which is sort of just... uh, Wait, so it was... Kid in King Arthur's Court? Yes, but written by Stan Lee. That. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Also in 1950, like, so like old King, a little closer to Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Together, they rescue a maiden. No name of the maiden I was anything I could find. I, so I don't know. I, I wasn't able to find this specific issue. So maybe the maiden had a name, or just maybe the Black Knight kidnapped that maiden. Guess I better team up with King Arthur to save her, which, you know, if you have the option of doing, you should 100% do. That is a good use of your time. Merlin appoints Sir Persia of Scandia as the Black Knight to oppose uh, Morgan Morgan Le Fay and Mordred. After the Black Knight saves King Arthur, Arthur knights him one of the knights the round table, but as a boon for you have saved the king, agrees to never force the Black Knight to reveal his identity, which really pisses off Mordred, who's trying to figure out who the Black Knight is because he keeps stopping his plots. We'll come up a little more when we talk about Percy in a moment. Uh, when He dies when Camelot falls, and his spirit rises a few times after to aid the modern Black Knight and Captain Britain, a few other people, but mostly those two. Uh, in a Marvel UK comic called, I believe, just Knights of Pendragon, he's reincarnated, which is weird because in another version he's still alive in Otherworld, which is 
a pocket universe that we will talk about in the Merlin part. Hmm. Uh, and just to add to the confusion, when Hercules is gathering a team of war gods to help him beat this big thing, someone's like, hey, what about King Arthur? And he goes, no, nah, he's still sleeping. He's still sleeping until the time of great whatever, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. So he might be ruling in Avalon now. He might be sleeping under the mountain. I don't remember. They have a specific mountain that King Arthur is supposed to be under, but I don't remember what it in is. In his city in Relier, King yeah. Arthur lies dreaming. See? This is, why, <laughs> this is why I'm glad you're here. Many reasons. Beautiful. Um, but as far as I can tell... King Arthur is Cthulhu, confirmed. <laughs> Sure. If that's, if that's what we want, as far as I can tell, I'll just end there. Which brings us... Gentle mustache and all. <laughs> I am way outclassed in this episode. <laughs> Which brings us to someone that you guys won't know because he was made up specifically for this, Sir Percy of Scandia, and also sort of Mordred, because most of Mordred's story is getting pantsed by Sir Percy of Scandia. Mm. Sir Percy of Scandia is the original Black Knight. You met his ghost in one of the Doctor Strange ones that we read. With the cursed sword that was Yes, cursed sword, the ebony blade, which mm-hmm. will come up here in a moment. <clears throat> Sir Percy's father had been an ally of King Arthur when he was young before he moved to Scandia. I don't know if that's supposed to be Scandinavia or if they just... I, I just, it should admit, I don't know... European geography well enough to have any statement on that part. Yeah, probably not. It sounds like something Stanley would have made up, but mm-hmm. also, like, I can't prove it one way or the other. Like Finland. Finland's just fake. <laughs> so, <laughs> as a young man, Merlin calls Percy to return to uh, Camelot. Also around this time, Mordred pops up, starts hanging out in Camelot. Doesn't this, I don't think people know, most people at least, don't know that he is the bastard son of King Arthur. I'm pretty sure King Arthur doesn't know at this point, but you two, okay, you guys are nodding. I'm going to take that as a good sign. Oh, I was just nodding that I was following along with oh, what you okay. were saying. <laughs> uh, I don't think Mordred, he at the very least doesn't know Mordred's like, I'm going to kill that guy. Mm. Publicly, Sir Percy presents himself as a preening fop, to use the quote. You know, kind of like curly hair, like, oh no, I couldn't fight, that would break my nails. But secretly, he is the Black Knight, with the full sweet Black Knight armor, and when he takes off his helmet, he's still wearing the, like, Zorro mask underneath. Like, I... I unapologetically love everything about that. I take off my mask to reveal my mask. Another mask. <laughs> I used double mask in four. It was cool. <laughs> uh, he, he secures a promise from Arthur to be allowed to keep his identity secret. However, he is unable to connect the assassins that attacked Arthur to Mordred, and this becomes kind of the ongoing thing of this series. Mordred attacks. We know it's him, but we can't prove it. Yeah, it's, you know, every story involving Lex Luthor ever. Right. He also has a secret tunnel that leads him out of Camelot when he needs to. Uh, Percy, not more. I mean, Mordred too, probably, but I'm assuming not the same tunnel. They just need to try to get Mordred on tax evasion. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to just get this out there. I had this thought because we're recording this not terribly long after we recorded the Briscoe County Jr. episode of General Nerdery. 
this feels like a 90, like 1995 era TV show, <laughs> like circa Zena, mm-hmm. Briscoe County Jr., something like that, of a period piece, single one-off cheesy adventures starring Bruce Campbell circa 1995. I, I would watch every episode of this show. I would watch it. The comics are only okay. The 50s was not a great time for comic books, and Lee was still figuring his stuff out. I'm sorry, I keep dropping my notes. I'm making so much excess noise today. Merlin takes Percy to the Pool of Blood, which is all, like, capitalized. So this is a specific... Blood? Yes. It's the blood. It's the blood. (laughs) Whose blood? A lot of people's, probably. It's a whole pool. And he presents multiple weapons to Sir Percy and saying, Hey. Camelot's fated to fall. Arthur's fated to be killed. But if you pick one of these weapons, you might be able to stop it, Mm -hmm. which no pressure there. He presents, oh, and all of these weapons are made from the Star Stone. Mm -hmm. It's not really explained what the Star Stone is. I'm guessing it's a meteor. Probably magic. You're making stuff from a star. Mm -hmm. It's going to be magic. From this, he makes the Ebony Chalice, the Ebony Shield, the Ebony Staff, and the ebony sword, or as it's known, the ebony blade. Sir Percy, being a knight, goes, well, I'm going to take the sword. And Merlin's like, well, I sure hope that's the right weapon. I don't actually know. Which is fair. We'll find out. And in theory, destroys all the other weapons. But unknown to them, Mordred has snuck in, and he manages to steal away the staff, which he reshapes into the ebony dagger later on. What about the excess staff? That he just cut. I don't. Maybe it's a lot of ebony. Maybe it's like ebony throwing daggers. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's, it's, maybe he's just really bad at it and was trying to make another ebony blade, but kept breaking them. And he's like, fine, <laughs> fine. It's the ebony dagger. That wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me. <laughs> he doesn't seem very skillful. More in Marvel and out of Marvel, Mordred's kind of a putz. <laughs> yeah. So later on, it is claimed, and I read this story, it only came out in about 2005, that uh, it's claimed that Percy is, in fact, the ninth wielder of the Ebony Blade, despite all previous stories saying that he was, you know, literally the thing we just talked about. Right. So I'm not sure how that works, but he does mention that he has seen the other eight people who wielded the blade all go insane and die. The only thing that makes me think is we could kind of connect this to the fact that King Arthur and Tommy Time had to save an unnamed maiden from a Black Knight earlier. Mm. So maybe if we wanted to try to tie things together, that could have been one One of of the previous Black Knights. Uh, We do know that one of them was a cousin of King Arthur Mm. who went mad and died. I think they said his name was Sir Roland. He's probably made up for this. And uh, Percy's like, you know, we should stop watching people do that. This comic, though, connects in no way, shape, or form from anything else I can find about the Sir Percy era Black Knight. So, who knows? Uh, Real quick, on talking about the Ebony Blade, since we're here. The Ebony Blade is enchanted to cut through anything and will protect its wielder. It's got a very... Excalibur and its scabbard feel going on. Uh, But it is also cursed to slowly drive the wielder mad and bring out all of their darkest impulses. Hmm. You're kind of violent. You're going to be more violent. 
You think you're seeing ghosts and are mad at people because you have PTSD from uh, being sent back in time to the Crusades? All three. You're going to have more of that. Most recently, and I mean, when I say most recently, within the last like two or three months that this story came out, Noel, the evil god of the symbiotes, like the Venom symbiotes, right. tells the current Black Knight, Dane Whitman, that Merlin lied about the source of this sword and that it actually can only be used properly by the unworthy. And it is designed to find people who are violent and paranoid and crazy and bring out the worst in them. I like that. You would. Uh, <laughs> actually, I can just see Tyler thinking here as this goes on. Uh, I, I have, I'm going on a completely different thought in my head right now, but yeah. I'm not actually against this story. Again, how it connects to things that we've already seen before is super unclear, but it's comic books. Go with what tells a good story. Mm-hmm. Also, going to get this out there. The mad god of the symbiotes, Null, who kind of looks like if a drow put on power armor, should maybe not be taken as the world's most reliable like source of information. That's fair. I'm just... <laughs> that, that brought up an image in my Cre- head that I'll never forget. <laughs> he was creator of the Necrosword. Yeah. No, actually, Null's kind of sweet. I'm just saying, yeah. like... The Necrosword's really sweet, but anyway. He's kind of a symbiote god sword. I want to see it. It will come up, actually. Mm-hmm. When the, I'm guessing on this name, McLuhan's, which is spelled M-A-K-L-U-A-N-S. The, when the McLuhan's, who are space dragons, uh, Fin Fang Foom being the most oh, famous. Okay. They're space dragons. They're alien dragons. Look, Groot's an alien tree. On the <laughs> scale of things, this is pretty normal for comic books. That's fair. When the McLuhan's kill Arthur and destroy Camelot way before it was supposed to happen. The Lady of the Lake sends Percy forward in time to recruit his future descendant, Dane Whitman, the current Black Knight, Mm -hmm. along with Whitman's team, New Excalibur, to come back in time and prevent what's happening. Main reasons I'm going to mention this part is, one, I read this specifically for this, and two... Juggernaut was on the team at the time. So we have like Juggernaut hanging out on King Arthur's court. What? It was wildly underdone. They should have done way more. During this adventure, the mutant spy Pete Wisdom drunkenly attempts to seduce Queen Guinevere. Distraught, she's comforted by Lancelot, and it's thought that this is probably the first time that those two hooked up. Ah. So technically... Pete Wisdom, super spy and angry mutant, is responsible for the fall of Camelot. That's fair. Which of the various depictions of Guinevere, I like this way better than the, like, angry harlot version that right. some of the stories go mm-hmm. with. A lot of the stories go A with. A lot of the stories go Yeah. Mm. <laughs> she gets better the earlier you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out that uh, there was a period of time where we just didn't like women very much. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mordred and the Black Knight continue this battle for years. During this time, Percy marries Lady Rosamond and has two sons, continuing his family line leading down today to Dane Whitman. Which he got from the future. Anyways... Yeah, he later me. He's like, well, obviously I'm going to have some kind of kids. Um, Cheating. (laughs) During the fall of Camelot, Percy is killed by Mordred. In some versions, Mordred is also killed by Percy. They just, like, 
double stab each other. Right. Uh, in in others, it's the class like he kills Sir Percy, and then him and Arthur kill each other off in the other the classic. classic way of doing it. Although there's other versions where Mordred lives, so who knows? But what's important for the Marvel version is at his time of death, Mordred throws himself into the spirit realm, basically. I'm forgetting the specific name. Okay. Um, the nether realm, straight up Mortal Kombat style, where his, where his ghost is like, nope, I'm not going to die. You're a ghost, man. You're still dead. Both Sir Percy and Mordred will do weird ghost things for the next couple of centuries. Sir Percy will show up and declare his successor the next Black Knight. Mordred will show up and mess with the next successor of the Black Knight. And it just kind of... It's like a it's not treated thing. this way in the comics, but I'm visualizing it as like their game of one-upmanship throughout the centuries. <laughs> for, for eternity. Mordred is eventually brought back to life straight up because Morgan Le Fay... Needed a lackey. He's a lackey. And he was a lackey. Mm. And he has done almost nothing of note. Because he's a lackey. Ever since. Except die? He shows up once or twice when Morgan needs his help. But even most of the time, they're like, wow, Morgan's so much more interesting. We're just going to deal with her. Which, speaking of, Morgan Le Fay. Sister of Arthur, aunt of Mortred. Former student and lover of Merlin in one of Merlin's creepier bits. He has a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Merlin's a weird old guy. At some point, she's possessed by the Darkhold and the dark god of the Marvel Universe, Cthon. Whether that's the source of her going evil in this or not is kind of unclear. She might break free or and just be... Evil anyway? Morgan power evil queen lady that she is, the Rita Repulsa of the Marvel Universe, or... Maybe she's permanently tainted. Doesn't really matter whichever way you want to tell that story. Again, most of her story aligns with traditional legend. When Iron Man and Doctor Doom are thrown into the past, Doom entreats her to... Yes, you look like you have a question. No, keep going. <laughs> he was just surprised you didn't go, Doom! Doom! I love Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> They're thrown into the past. Doom entreats her to help him get his mom out of hell. Like we talked about before, we talked about this last oh, time. Yeah, he tried to leave her there. Do, uh, that was a later story, Got but it. Doom does the hell thing. Doom does the hell thing to rescue his mom a lot. Okay, during it's, this it's time, like an annual thing. Oh, yes. we, we made that joke before. No, it's straight up. It is an annual thing. Cool. Like every he, Mother's Day, he goes down there. I think it's her birthday, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, he's like, "Hey, Morgan, teach me magic," and she's like, "Okay, sure." Inevitably, they betray each other. But before that, she goes. Shocker. You have to you have to kill Arthur for me and lead and gives him an army using like a piece of Excalibur, like part of the mm. blade chipped off to resurrect everyone killed by Excalibur and gives Doom this zombie army oh my. to go confront. That's cool. Uh, he's stopped by King Arthur and Iron Man and the Knights of the Round Table and what's got to be an epic team up. This is a very famous book series that I almost bought as a kid. Didn't, and when I looked it up while planning this episode, it's like $400 now. So, Doom Quest is supposed to be pretty solid. Inevitably betray each other. Morgan actually has to flee to hell and hang out with um, Mephisto for a while to, to escape everything that's going down here. 
there's also a really crazy like alternate universe story where Iron Man doesn't get to go back to the future and is appointed King Arthur's successor and leads the world to a thousand years of peace through Camelots. That's which I feel like wildly overestimates Tony's ability for long-term planning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And not being a dick. And it, <laughs> look, if you want Tony to save the earth, he's great at it. If you want Tony to have people like him, no. he's got problems. A couple people will like him. Eventually, she's locked into Castle Lafay by Merlin. She will send her astral form out to attempt escapes. From this point on, it's unclear whether all of this happens in Arthurian times or if she lives in the modern day. So it's unclear if she's like sending her spirit to the modern day or if she's actually in the modern day. Ah. Um, thanks to the nature of time travel, it kind of seems like both are true. And like Merlin at this point, I'm not even really trying to keep her timeline going. Her astral form goes up against both the Avengers and uh, Spider-Woman, of all people. And at one point, briefly remakes the Earth into weird Arthurian legends time, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes, and creates the Avengers as the Queen's Vengeance. Doom travels back in time. He becomes her student and lover and has a child with her named Caroline, who's still alive in the modern day. Apparently, even though they've multiple times betrayed each other by this point, they're still... Yeah, you know. Down. You know what? Actually, someone that would betray Doom is exactly who Doom goes for. Yeah. That's 100%. His <laughs> if you're not down to betray Doom, he doesn't care. He's not down for you. And to continue what literally must have been their entire relationship, he betrays her. She decides to get her revenge by killing all of Latveria. Don't do that. <laughs> Doom doesn't like that. No, he gets very mad. So, teaming up with the Dark Avengers, which is when Norman Osborn was leading the Avengers, and it was like Bullseye and Venom, and is not coming up in our magic thing, but is a wild story. Whoa. Yeah. He teams up with Doom, and thanks to time travel shenanigans, undoes all of the wild Latvarian murder, and traps her in a cauldron. That sentence is something. She's freed by her daughter Caroline, and raises an army of the undead to attack Europe. She also murders Dr. Druid's son, who was trying to stop her, who was just known as Druid. Hmm. Unfortunately, this backfires because he's able to raise all of the ghosts of the, um, uh, what is it, underneath Paris, the, the, the labyrinth. The, uh, the catacombs. The catacombs. He's able to raise all of the ghosts of the catacombs and use it to defeat her zombie army. Oh, no, that's not good either. That's a lot. But then they're still hungry. None of this should go well, but it does. Euroforce, which is a really lame team, and the Avengers help out as well. Somehow, we now enter our most confusing part of the podcast. Because we've reached Merlin, baby. Let's do it. There are so many stories of Merlin that none of them line up, but all of them might be true. Because the thing to understand about Merlin in the Marvel Universe is he is what is referred to as a gestalt entity. All Merlins are sort of the same Merlin. So Earth-1 Merlin is connected to Earth-2 Merlin in ways that no one quite understand. So their stories may be completely different, but they're both still Merlin. The sum of the pieces are greater than the pieces themselves. Yeah. It's, they're like a hive mind where each one are still like an individual. It's, it reminds me of like an American Gods. 
at least in the book, the when I guess minor spoilers for American Gods, but Shadow ends up meeting a different version of Odin, but it's like an older Odin, and he's like, "But I knew you," and he's like, <laughs> "Well, you did." Uh, but it, in the TV show, we meet like twenty different versions of Jesus, Jesus. in one episode. Yeah, yeah, and they're all Jesus, but they're not. Jesus. Jesus. Like he's not him, Jesus, but they're both Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that sentence is gonna make about as much sense as the rest of this does. To start this off, we have three different origins for Merlin. One, he was originally the uh, bard Miradin, which this is real like pre-Arthurian legend mm-hmm. from the nation of Ruta, which is the survive the one of the surviving islands of Atlantis in the Marvel universe, the Cole the Conqueror version of Atlantis, who escapes when he realizes Atlantis is going to die and kind of enters into uh, Arthurian legend. This one also brings the uh, Druids to Britain or brings Druidic worship to Britain. Mm. There's also the classic Merlin version, like Arthurian legend version of Merlin, where he's the son of a demon and a Princess who became a nun, mm-hmm. uh, who is supposed to be an antichrist and is blessed with holy water or like baptized, and somehow that's enough to stop an antichrist, which is poor Apparently. planning. <laughs> All right, that easy. the one thing that can defeat our antichrist is a thing that literally everyone does in this nation when they're born. <laughs> we do that on purpose, <laughs> <laughs> and then to make it. They get the completely wild, completely original to Marvel version. In one, he's from an alternate universe. He's not from Earth 616. He is from a different universe where he was the student of the Sorcerer Supreme of that universe named Necrom and uh, partnered with another student named Pharon. These guys decide that they are going to create an ultimate magic nexus. So... They use the Phoenix Force from the Earth 616. They're like, well, we need something to help combine this all together. Pharon becomes one of the first hosts of the Phoenix while, like, looking through the multiverse. Okay. His boss, Necrom, decides that he wants to be the king of the Phoenix. He wants to be the new host of the Phoenix Force. So him and Pharon go into a big battle. During this time, Merlin steals the wild magic power thing that they were trying to set up and flees to Earth 616. Pharon also flees to Earth-616, gets abandoned by the Phoenix, and just hides out waiting for Necrom to show up. In this version, this version of Merlin leaves a tower on every parallel Earth in the exact same location. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just known as the Lighthouse in, our, in the Marvel Universe. Okay. Again, how all of these line up is unclear because it's literally impossible, but thanks to Merlin's status as a gestalt whatever, Mm -hmm. it's still possible. Sometime after the fall of Camelot, because Merlin does all his fun Camelot-y things, he travels to the land of Otherworld. Now, we've already talked about parallel dimensions. This is not that. There's only one Otherworld. It's kind of a, like, bubble pocket that is connected uh, think of like so the Venn diagram, the middle of the circle for the Venn diagram. Yes, of all these other dimensions. <clears throat> Got it. Um, and from the center of Otherworld, on what is known as the Starlight Citadel, he forms the Captain Britain Corps, which is a multiversal 
army of Captain Britons. Yes. Superhero Captain Britons. Alan Moore came up with this concept. I will mock Alan Moore for a lot of things, but not for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Along with his daughter, Roma, he does this. We are not going to put time into Roma because I looked her up and there is, she pretty much just exists to hang out with her dad or to call out her dad when her dad is Merlining it up. They don't even mention who Roma's mother is. As far as I can tell, that never even comes up. Hmm. Maybe there isn't one. It's possible. There's wild things happening here. The only other thing we're really going to talk about Avalon is, or uh, uh, Otherworld, sorry, is that Avalon takes place in Otherworld. Avalon is sort of the traditional Lance of Fairy. It's a spiritual world that is literally connected to Britain. Okay. When Britain does good, Avalon does good. When Avalon does bad, Britain does bad. So they are intrinsically linked in ways that we can't really explain. It will come up not in this week's reading, but next week's reading, at least briefly. Merlin sends his one of his best agents, James Braddock, to Earth-616 and tells him, like, have kids. I, I need... I guess, like, I need someone of your lineage. Yeah, really, like, uh, I need someone to wield this power, and you're not right for it. So he has, uh, James has three kids. Jim, his oldest son, who is inappropriate for the power, Mm -hmm. and two twins, Brian and Betsy. Betsy goes on to become the X-Man Psylocke. Brian becomes Captain Adam. Not Adam, Captain Britain. Very wrong universe on that one. Merlin's entire technique here for determining if someone's willing to be Captain Britain is when something big is going down, him and Roma pop up, like pull that guy out of nowhere, you know, moment of weird power thing happening. And he goes, I have these two things in front of you, the sword of might and the chalice of right. Pick one. And they're supposed to pick the chalice. Of right. And if they pick the sword, in theory, they're supposed to not, like, get the power. But also, every once in a while, he's like, well, that's interesting. Let's see what happens. And lets them just keep the sword. Because <laughs> he's, he's just a weirdo. And it backfires wildly because that dude tried to kill most of the Captain Britain Corps and Roma. Oh, my goodness. This should be fun. <laughs> he is eventually killed. In a battle between a cyborg, or I guess a Syot, called the Fury, that came from a, a universe where it had killed literally everyone in this universe, and then the universe blew up and it just like started floating around killing universes, and a reality warping mutant named Mad Jim Jaspers. I want to see a TV series about this. British comics are incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> During this time, Roma steps up, takes over as leader uh, of the Captain Britain Corps. Is Merlin on vacation or something? No, he's supposed to be dead because he's killed in the battle between the two of these. That's fair. That's fair. Turns out he faked his death. Or because he's a gestalt being who has, like, three or four origin stories, maybe actually died, and either, in classic Marvel fashion, it just didn't stick, or just another Merlin popped up. Because he is and isn't. Because he is and isn't. This one is making plans uh, to stop Necrom and Pharon and all of those things we were talking about. 
he shows up when Excalibur is having to deal, Excalibur being Captain Britain and a bunch of X-Men who had teamed up to create European X-Men style, are dealing with all of the weird Necrom crap. He tries to steal a bunch of power, and instead, they blow up the lighthouse that I had mentioned earlier, taking away most of Merlin's power because they were tired of being manipulated by Merlin. That's fair. Swearing vengeance, he disappears. Is he a bad guy now? Well, no, because later on he came... Yes, I mean, he's Merlin. Like, let's be honest, he's... He just is Merlin. He's Merlin. He Merlins it up. He later on appears just hanging out with Roma again, even though they had, like, sworn vengeance on each other, being like, oh, look, Captain Britain got married. That's interesting. Merlin's stories, again, are wild. <laughs> During the House of M event, Merlin is driven insane. More. More insane. And he starts becoming a direct villain. Like, I'ma just go murder people. I'ma team up with Mad Jim Jaspers, who killed me in the past because I want to kill my daughter. I know, right? Like, Merlin gets Bad Dad of the Year award for a lot of things, but that's up there. So with Mad Jim Jaspers, he starts creating an army of furies. The, the cyborg thing that had killed both of them before and died in the process. And starts and starts just annihilating the Captain Britain Corps. I also read this story for the, like, prep for this. If this doesn't make sense, that's because this era was not Chris Claremont's strongest writing period, and it doesn't make much sense in the book either. Okay. They eventually just kind of punch everyone to death, but he does successfully kill Roma. The, the, the good guys mm -hmm. punch all the Furies to death. He kills Roma. Merlin escapes, but has been poisoned by a Fury shard. Like, part of the cyborg was still there. He cuts his foot on it, and, like, the nanobots possess him. They will later use this to explain his evil behavior, despite the fact that he was on his murder spree before right. all of that. Interesting. He later... At some point, in a point that we have never actually been shown, gets locked away by the fairy... He's, I think he's a fairy king, Oberon. During the secret invasion, Pete Wisdom, who again, just gonna get this out there, is the guy who is responsible for the downfall of Camelot because he drunkenly hit on Guinevere too hard. <clears throat> Has to save Britain from these invading super scrolls. Scrolls that have mixes of powers of different heroes of the Marvel Universe. So it might be like, Cyclops, Colossus, and Magneto, and the next one is, like, I keep naming X-Men here, but, like, Beast, Wonder Man, and Thor. He needs to save, uh, Pete Wisdom needs to save England, so he makes a deal and frees Merlin, but also somehow frees him of that Shard of the Fury, making Merlin be like, I'm not evil now, but, you know, he's still evil Merlin. Evil. Even he, when he's not evil... Not the best. One person has been done well by Merlin in history, and that's like Arthur. And even sometimes it's kind of Mostly. dubious. Mostly. <laughs> sometimes he's like, go there. I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> he pops up. He gifts them a bunch of magic powers. He gifts Faiza Hussein with the sword Excalibur, which we will talk more about next week, and goes off on his merry way. Uh, there are stories going on with him currently. I am not covering those because... 
never attempt to cover a Jonathan Hickman written story until the whole thing is done. Because it's not going to make a lick of sense, but it's going to sound really cool. Yeah, no, that's fair. When you're reading it, not when you say it out loud. No, that's fair. <laughs> now, that was all over the map. But basically, you have an understanding now of how, I guess, how Arthurian legend exists. It is its own distinct set of magic, largely tied to either Avalon or Merlin or both. And most of it comes from Merlin messing with people. I forgot something. This is like a one-sentence thing. There is another version of Merlin that uh, Iron Man meets multiple times who is asleep during this whole thing. Because Merlin is sworn to, like, sleep and reemerge during Britain's hour of greatest need in the same way that Arthur is. Mm. Like, Arthur asleep, Merlin asleep, will wake up. But he's occasionally able to astral project where he meets up with Iron Man and helps him stop Doctor Doom a few times. But that means we have three origins for Merlin. A Merlin who's asleep and hanging out and being, like, ready to be useful when the time comes. And another Merlin who's literally just, like, running through the multiverse like a wrecking ball. Being like, this will be fine! <laughs> he just rolls a dice every morning. He's like, that's the one. <laughs> and he may or may not have died, or both. In, like, six different ways. Wait, right. <laughs> was possessed by Nine Knights, now is unpossessed by Nine Knights, killed his own daughter. We don't talk about it. And then... <laughs> and we warned when we started this podcast that there will be contradictory things that you just kind of have to accept. But Merlin is, like, the biggest offender of this that I have ever seen. But it kind of works, because by the very nature of Arthurian legend, since it was told over the course of, what, 500 years? Yeah. That Longer, depending on the a story. A thousand years? Mm -hmm that it was already so wildly contradictory that it kind of just fits. Like, it, 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 so much better than when you try to be like, nope, here's a straight timeline of Arthur. It works. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Do you have any questions? No. That's good. Before we, <laughs> before we dive into this week's reading. Okay. Nope. Cool. Uh, quick break and then we'll hit the reading. So this week's reading is Avengers 1 through 4 by Kurt Busiek and George Perez from, I believe, the year 1998. Yeah. Uh, this run is one of my all-time favorite comic runs. Not this, like, specific storyline. But when I was a kid, I got somewhere in the next storyline after this one. So this run mm. has always been very, like, foundational for me. And reading this has always been exciting for me because it's the one when I was a kid being like, I know there was some weird, like, time travel or something. Why are they wearing armor? I want to know so much more. And reading as an adult being like, oh, my God, yeah. And also, like, in some ways, kid brain was so much cooler than, like, anything they could have come up with. And that's not a knock on either Busiek or Perez. That's just kid brain curiosity will always be so like, look, yeah. Plus <laughs> look, anytime you put heroes in armor, I'm going to be there. Like there's a reason we covered DC's metal over on the other podcast. On General Murder, yeah. It's, it's cool. It's so cool. I, uh, I don't think we've talked about it on this. Mac and I play Belagarth, which is, you know, weird foam sword fighting. My entire aesthetic in that 
could pretty much just be summed up by these three first three issues of <laughs> <Yeah>. this storyline. <laughs> Someone a... told me you can't make uh, superheroes into like fantasy, and I pretty much just started spamming them with pictures from this run. Yeah. <laughs> Stop me. But anyways, this run comes right after an event called Heroes Reborn. Basically, all of the heroes die. Not all of them, but like... A lot of them. The Avengers died. The Fantastic Four died. Uh, you know, Cap, Iron Man, Thor. All of the big names. They were shunted off into a parallel universe, and then they were shunted back. And this is like the Avengers as they relaunch here. Busiek had been working for several years and had just started gaining fame for the series Marvels. And George Perez, at this point, had a long-storied career, was one of the already one of the great Avengers artists greats and also did crisis on infinite earths and new teen titans where he created cyborg raven starfire like this was a huge creative team coming into this book it was actually under my consideration of ideas for scarlet witch our scarlet witch episode but i decided against it because it's a big story for her but she doesn't have much agency in it yeah, she's just sort of strapped to a wall for a bit. And then... and, tra- and taps into chaos magic and brings mm-hmm. Wonder Man back, which is awesome. But yeah, she doesn't get to do much. What are what are thoughts? I wish Thor talked like this in the movies. Uh, I mean, he kind of did in the first Thor. A little bit. They, they toned it down a they lot by Ragnarok. Down. Yeah. Um, he's like a, he's a completely different character. And these, then I'm used to. We tend to think these days of Thor as kind of a meathead. Mm. And he is a little bit. And he always kind of was, but he was not nearly as much of a meathead. The Thor that we have today is a lot closer to the classic depiction of Hercules, of like, I'm here for adventures and drinking! And -hmm. hitting things. Well, Thor was much more likely to wax poetic. Mm Mm-hmm. And then get into fights with Hercules. He was still Thor. Yes. But <laughs> he was also extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Like, even during the part where he starts to break out of the mind control, like, he knew way sooner than anyone else because he's just, he's like, this isn't right. And yeah. He, like, he put the pieces together real And quick. I do like the theory that it's because he lived through some of this mm-hmm. that he was able to go, this is strange. I wouldn't do this. Why am I, why do I want, why would I answer to you? Like Captain America, I understand. But... I literally control lightning. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of Thor, the moment where all the other like founding Avengers are sitting there drinking tea and whatever, which is just classic Avengers that I love. Uh, with Jarvis. Um, with Jarvis, and I, I will fight. I mean, this isn't magic stuff, but I will fight for actual butler Jarvis every day of my life. I like butler Over Jarvis. Paul Bettany's voice. And Paul Bettany voice robot Jarvis is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I also really kind of like the idea that like Iron Man names his AI after Jarvis because he's the only real father. Like he's basically Mm -hmm. Alfred, but for all of the Avengers. Yeah, he says that that. too. Like the three panels where he's talking to uh, who's the hero who can't go because he crippled. Uh, Rick Jones. He was one of the guys that helped found the Avengers. Yeah. On accident. On accident. He's like, I... 
he was just honored to be able to do the small things. He's like, yeah, that's what I do. Like they do all that crazy stuff. I just make sure they eat and I clean their stuff for them because right? like, <laughs> I just do the simple things. I, I was doing all this for Tony Stark and this is so much better. Have you met Cap? Yeah. <laughs> He's cool. But of that moment where they're all drinking tea and giant man has that giant freaking teacup and Thor like bursts through the window being like danger and falls over. <laughs> God, that's a that's a good hook for an intro into a comic book. He's got the crazy face. He's like, we're all gonna die. He's Thor with a beard. I am always pro Thor with yeah. a beard. Super. I like cool. Thor with a beard. It just looks better. Then they have the cool like, here's the danger. Let's all swear on the hammer. That is, Avengers don't come up too much in this season just because they're not major magic characters. Mm. But because Thor is a founding Avenger, they have things like they took an oath on that hammer and he's literally used that oath to call up the ghosts of dead Avengers before. Dang. So like there is. That's intense. There is power in stuff like that. And Jarvis walks in and he's like, oh my God, it's happening again. <laughs> it's happening again. This is great. And I feel that that scene gives me chills. I don't even know why. It's probably because I read it when I was a kid. But mm. like. I just want like 20 more episodes episodes issues of just watching the queen's vengeance i yeah. liked i liked all the like armor wearing and them just like falling into these pretty close to how they actually are but not quite who they are personas mm -hmm. and like <laughs> uh it is remarkable that they used every person who had been an avenger up to that point somewhere in this four issue run there's a lot if they were dead or unavailable, they literally had little moments of that. Like, Spider-Man had four running series at the time, so they just didn't have time for him. Gotta go. He bounces. Um, Sandman was there. Sandman was a reserve adventure for a while. Sandman stopped being a villain for a while in the 90s and was kind of more interesting, if we're being honest. The guy from the Undercity? D-Man. D-Man. <laughs> D-Man. I love one of my favorite things, maybe, that I've ran into in all of comics is them all sitting in the bleachers with just, like, a, like five seat wide berth around D-Man. And he's fine with it. That's awesome. But I also like that, like, as much as snooty like Namor and Moondragon are like, ah, standards are falling. Jarvis is like, hey, D-Man, how's it going? Do you want some food? Do you want to take some food with you? Want a like, shower? Okay, yeah, this, this will be great. And the idea that there is a homeless Avenger. D-Man is a former former professional wrestler, a former ally or like oh, partner of Captain America. Because I didn't know what he did. <laughs> who based who purposely based his costume off of a mix of Daredevil's original costume and Wolverine, because he thought those were the cool looking ones. Mm -hmm. He's also a paranoid schizophrenic who goes off and on his meds and is shockingly treated pretty respectfully, which they don't always manage. When a character is a paranoid schizophrenic in literally any fiction. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, also, he's and right. And recently came out as gay. I actually really wish D-Man got more love than than he gets. Those are two cool costumes. It's crazy that a, a professional wrestler can just be a superhero. <laughs> there was a running thing for a while where there was a super-powered wrestling league. Oh, yeah? Uh, and there was a villain named the Power Broker, who I think pops up in Falcon and Winter Soldier, who literally would just give you superpowers. And part of it was they needed to make up new villains or whatever, but they got tired of having to tell 
yet another new wild origin story, so Power Broker. I like it. It's such a wonderful cheap workaround. I like it. So, as relating to Arthurian legend, there's not a ton here. I wanted to do something with, like, Morgan Le Fay because we don't get a, a enough time with her, I think. And I didn't really want to do, like, Black Knight or Captain Britain too heavily in this. I kind of dug the the over-the-top, her over-the-top arrogance in this, and if she would have just stopped and listened to Mordred even, like, one time, she probably actually would have succeeded. I really hate siding <laughs> with Mordred, but him being like, literally, this is the worst idea you've just, ever had. Just kill them. Like, what are you doing? But like, any time he's like, you know, maybe we should just be a little bit more thorough on this. You like, nah, nah, it's good. Guess who's in control? Me, baby. I'm in control. That, <laughs> they had that, the art style for her, too, was like, Really, really good with like the, the the insane eyes and like the angular face or facial features and everything. George Perez, one of his true gifts as an artist is facial expression. It was really good and absolutely wild character design that Tyler usually hates. But uh, in this one, it's really good. The, I liked a you, lot of people in this one. I did not like Iron Man in this. He looked Iron weird. Man wasn't great. I always want more from it, and unfortunately, um, I read another one where Iron Man has like a mystic. Medieval armor at the same time, and I went, Oh damn, Ron Lim did such a better job. Uh, I love his Nighthawk. Uh, Darkhawk? Darkhawk, that's right. Darkhawk looks super great. Quasar looks really good. One Quasar got the love that he deserves in one of the few occasions. It was weird seeing Captain um, America with the sword. Yes, but the Capt costume was pretty good. I liked the... Um, U.S. agent costume, which was just mm, cap but mm -hmm. red. And I honestly think I like U.S. agent with a red costume better than I like him with, like, the black Captain America costume oh, yeah. that's the more common go-to. He's not going to come up much here at all because he's, like, the least magical character ever. <laughs> I kind of like U.S. agent. I've never been sure why because he is the most hateable person in comic books. But I kind of appreciate this being, like, he's an awful human being, but he does save the world uh, on on the magic front, this might have had one of my best hand wavy magic moments. Yeah, <laughs> when <laughs> when they're like, people have tried to describe Scarlet Witch's powers over the years, said that it's tampering with probabilities. Wanda's learned a little bit of extra stuff to add some extra arcane magic onto that. But whether it's magic or physics or science or just sheer willpower, what mattered today was it worked. And that was it. And that was it. <laughs> One, that is the wordiest way of saying, we have never known what Scarlet Witch's power set is. Just roll with it. Super cool. Also, I'm like, okay, that works. <laughs> what matters is it worked. And I'm like, you guys are just putting it on front street. <laughs> They're not kidding. No one has been able to define Scarlet Witch's power set like ever. Is she related to Dark Elves or something? That's three. No, for a long part of the history, she was the daughter of Magneto. Yes, but didn't Morgan say the only reason she could now use the sword is because of the lineage the Scarlet Witch had, and using her power as a conduit, she could now use that giant sword to then reshape reality? Okay, you read this today, and I read it like a week and a half ago, so if they did say <laughs> it that, was, I... It was... That's close. It was... It's the chaos magic, isn't it? Um, Morgana can't use the sword because 
at least in her dialogue in this, I believe it's implied that she's related to the elves. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. And so she needs to wrap her power in the chaos magic. Got it. So that it's, you know, like putting on an insulated glove. Chaos magic to manipulate things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is... But to do that, in order to do that, she also had to share a little bit of her magic back towards Wanda, which is why Wanda was able to stand up to her in the end. At the end, yeah. From this point on... Scarlet Witch becomes much more of a specific magic user. Like, she'd had some training from Agatha before this, but she becomes much more specifically a magic user. Her mutant power lets her connect to magic. We'll talk about this in the Scarlet Witch one. I will not stop calling her a mutant, despite what the, like, vogue of the last couple years has been. We'll talk about that later. But chaos magic does become a pretty important of her here and she does use it a lot from this point on and specifically chaos magic which sounds like something out of Warhammer 40k but it's also kind of cool still it is that (laughs) Um, the final issue of this doesn't have much to do with the story but it like ties everything a little closer in and does set up one of the all-time great eras of Avengers comics, so I really wanted to kind of drop this in, because the final issue is, hey, we've won. Who's going to be this Avengers team now? Because there's like 40 of us. <laughs> and back in the day, they admitted that 40 Avengers was too many Avengers. Too many cooks in the house. Later on, they were like, yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> also, I throw shade, but that was another great era of Avengers when Jonathan Hickman was writing it. Also, I recommend Too Many Cooks if you haven't watched it. Yes. Too Many Cooks. Oh, my God, that... It scares me. Um, when you were talking about the Ebony Blade earlier, the thing that I got stuck in my head was just the idea of, you know, any of the many times that Vision has been wiped clean uh-huh. and then him getting the Ebony Blade. So it has nothing to amplify. <laughs> what's it going to do? I've never even thought about that. This is literally the most important thing Morg- Mordred has ever done in the history of Marvel Comics. <laughs> I mean, he had a li- pretty low bar of standard, I though. honestly don't know if he's appeared since then. Mm. Well, isn't he dead? Didn't she kill him? Buddy. His name Buddy. is not Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> when I was in high school, there was a phrase, nobody dies in comics, but Bucky, Jason Todd... And Uncle Ben. And then the year after I read that, Bucky and Jason Todd both came back to life. Poor Uncle Ben. And it looked like Uncle Ben came back to life, but it was an alternate, or not alternate evil, an alternate universe version of one who subsequently got murdered. He has a a short end of the stick. (laughs) There's always one thing, (laughs) if there's ever a reboot of a Spider-Man series, there's always one thing you count on. Uncle Ben's gonna die. I thought they weren't gonna do it for one of them, and I was actually mad at them. Like, the Disney (laughs) ones don't mention it. No. They mentioned that Uncle Ben is dead, but there's never been any of... It's honestly a weakness, in my opinion. Like, you buy the third I like that. I've seen it so many times now. It's like, I never need to see the pearls falling for Batman's parents again. again. I don't need the full experience. I need him to talk specifically... My Uncle Ben died, and that's why I'm Spider-Man. Bam. Done. 
Like, yeah, I just, I need them to acknowledge how important Spider or Uncle Ben is in the Spider-Man mythos. I would like Spider-Man's dad to shoot the wife. What? And then turn into the main bad guy for, Sp- uh, for Batman. I'm sorry. Batman's dad to shoot also his what? mom. <laughs> and then Batman's dad being the main villain for Batman to be fighting. You're going to fridge Martha? Martha's already been fridged. You're going to make it worse? You're going to freeze um, her Martha? <laughs> <laughs> there is a version where Bruce dies, Martha goes insane and becomes that the world's Joker. version of the Joker, and Thomas becomes Batman. But he's a murdery, pistoly Batman. I don't like it, but you might, based off your terrifying story concepts here. I think that'd be fun. Because it, it, I've seen, I've seen. I do like murdery, pistoly Batman. <laughs> I'm not as sold on Martha. You the Joker. are built for something like Flashpoint, and a, I am not. He's only a step away from being that way, anyways. Just continue. Just one more step. Okay. But as for the Avengers comics we were reading, do we have anything else to say before I go on to uh, assign next week's reading list? Um. Those aren't the Infinity Stones that Thor was talking about. The Norn Stones. Stones. Those are magic Norse Odin Loki things. Got it. And then do they ever address why Asgard is the way it is? Yes, but not in this Avengers run. It was a connect over with Thor where that's a major storyline for a while. The answer is the Dark Gods, who are literally a bunch of weird, creepy gods in black and white. Um... Like, all black with, like, white illustration, like, uh, ink lines. Mm-hmm. Destroyed it. In theory, killed most of the gods. Lock Odin in an absurd number of chains. Great splash page, though. Hmm. Thor beats them up with his hammer. Everyone goes home. It's classic Norse legend right there. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Next week, we will be doing what we were supposed to be doing this week, and we will be talking about Captain Britain and Dane Whitman, the modern Black Knight. We will be reading... Captain Britain and the MI-13 from around 2009, I believe. Uh, It is written by Paul Cornell, and the initial artist is Leonard Kirk. You should be able to find it on the Marvel Unlimited app, and it's pretty cheap if you want a physical copy. Cool. That's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the weekly game of Super Smash Bros. Melee starts soon. Nice. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M dot com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.